0: All right. So, Matt, for the last few months, maybe six months or whatever, Ashley has been buying plants on a regular basis. She buys them and then she kills them and then she'll buy another one and then she kills it. And I was like, babe, if you're killing them, why why do you keep buying them? And she looks at me and goes, just to let you know what I'm capable of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: She's a (laughs) cereal plant killer. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Good deal. So, I, I kind of told you before we started, but I'll tell everybody else. I just, I, I don't care about this episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, we He's phoning it in. I'm phoning it in, man, from, from vacation already. Now, um, we're recording early because Matt had a vacation and then I've got a vacation coming up. So, we got to get episodes in the bank so that y'all don't see any lack of episodes on those weeks. Well, when we're recording this, there's only a a few days left before we go down to the beach. And I told Matt, my brain already went to Florida. I, my body's still here, but my brain is in Florida and it, I'm trying to get it back. So let's hope I remember everything I need to talk about in this episode. But
1: (laughs) yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, that, uh, you're at least aware,
0: so I'm not going,
1: God dang, man, he yeah. out. he's out to lunch
0: What already. happened to Adam? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into it, we want to say check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with, and you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting, and I guarantee you there's going to be a show on there that you're going to enjoy. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Fume and HelloFresh, and we'll talk more about them coming up in the episode. Now, real quick, just some information here. Stitcher is shutting down on August 29th. It will be no no more listening there, no more shows there, no nothing. So, if you have been listening to us on Stitcher, if you're currently listening to this episode on Stitcher, Then probably need to find another place to listen to us because, I mean, it's just it's they're stopping. They've they've been one of the big time podcatchers for a while now, for many years, fifteen years, right? Um, So I don't know the ins and outs of why, but they just are. So find us. I mean, iTunes. If you don't have Apple stuff, you can get us on. We're on Spotify. We're even on audible so if you listen to audible and you listen to books there guess what you can listen to graveyard tales on audible as well it's not an ad for audible i mean the hashtag not a sponsor but they could be if they would just contact (laughs) us audible contact us but anyway uh, go find it
1: we've been audible customers for
0: years yeah since (laughs) since audible was a thing we we have both had audible um, so find us on a different. I mean, if you need to, go to graveyardpodcast dot com and you can listen to all the episodes there. Um Ashley set up our website to where they import there. It may take a little longer for the RSS feed to import onto the website than it does a podcatcher, but go over there, you can listen from there or just search us up on some other podcatcher. yeah, of your choice. But yeah, there's there's a bunch
1: and they they all they all just have different interface. Find one that you like. You like the color of the icon, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean right. you'll find us there. Yep. Um but don't but if if you if you are I was a Stitcher customer for a long time. Um but if you are just remember there it's going away. We don't want you to miss out, you yep. know, on any of the new content.
0: Yep. We it's not us going anywhere, it's Stitcher going somewhere. So if you're current Stitcher move over somewhere before August 29th. If you need to hit us up on our Facebook group or something, say, hey, where can we find you? Just do that. Post in the group. Somebody will help you out. All right, Matt. So let's talk about a new sponsor to the show, and that's Fume. Now, I like cold turkey on a sandwich. I mean, cold yeah. turkey with some lettuce and cheese. Yeah, But cold turkey's not good for breaking bad habits. and Yeah, it's tough. It is. And there, there's other ways to break bad habits. And I'm not talking about, you know, hypnosis or voodoo or any of our episodes that we've talked about. I'm not... <laughs> I don't mean that. Mind control. Mind control. Nothing like that. All we're talking about now is our new sponsor, FUME. It's spelled F-U-M. And they look at the problem in kind of a different way not everything in a bad habit is wrong so instead of like a dramatic uncomfortable change why not just remove the bad part of the habit and you can have just a habit that's easier to deal with and and (laughs) fume is an innovative award nominated device that does just that they take the bad out of the bad habit
1: yeah so you know instead of an electronic device Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses just flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses all natural, delicious flavors. So, I mean, you get it. I mean, we're taking out the bad and replacing it with fume, which is good. And it's it's a habit that you're free to enjoy and it makes replacing your bad habit a lot easier. And, you know, sometimes part of a habit is that I've, I've, I need something in my hands. hmm You know, sure. I, I, I do things with my hands, you know, I'm constantly... And the Fume is such a unique little device that it's it's very it's very fidgety. It's very, you know, you can play around with it. You know, spin it in your fingers, you can click it, you can twist it, you can do all these things. But it's, it's not... It's not necessarily a fidget toy. That's just an added bonus. Right. I mean, when you breathe through the fume, you're getting flavored air taken from plants, all natural, and replacing any other harmful chemical
0: that you might be breathing. And as you, if you watch the video, you've seen Matt and I, with our bad habits, exhaling here on camera. So I can I can promise you you'll see see more fuming rather than the other because it, it it it's a great way to replace that.
1: Yeah. And you know, not to mention, there there are a lot of places now where those kind of habits aren't welcome. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to excuse yourself and go outside or sit in the car or whatever it is you have to do. Especially when it's hot. Jeez. Yeah. Or or freezing cold. Or freezing, yeah. You, you can pull out your fume, and you're not going to bother anybody. You're going to get the satisfaction that you're looking for, and you can keep on rocking. Right. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard. But switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. And no, there's no reason that can't be you too. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Head to tryfume.com. That's T R Y F U M.com. And use our code Tails, TALES, T A L E S, to save 10% when you get the Journey Pack today.
0: That's right. Try fum.com and use our code Tails T A L E S to save an additional ten percent off your order of the Journey Pack today. So Matt, that's all the housekeeping that I've got for this episode. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother?
1: Well, tonight we're gonna look at another one of these um, these. these regional areas that seem to be full of varied paranormal activity Mm -hmm. um you know we've talked about um uh we talked about the michigan triangle a lot of different things um why i I can't ever the
0: yeah that one i I don't remember that one either (laughs)
1: The Bridgewater Triangle. Thank you. I just it just I had to come to me. Um, But tonight we're we're gonna look at another one of these that has a lot of odd things going on in in a a fairly concentrated region. Uh, We're gonna look at the Big Thicket. Oh yeah, (laughs) in southeast Texas. I, I every time every time that. You know, Amanda asked me, what are y'all recording tonight? You know? The Big Thicket. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. It's the way you ought to you ought yeah, to say it. But
0: but uh with a real deep Texas accent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my voice isn't that deep, so I can't <laughs> do it. But um th- this is a this is pretty cool. I I had I had heard of the Big Thicket just because of the national preserve there and, and the area. And I, I did I lived in Texas for a very short period of time. Uh, but I I had no idea all of this was going on there, um, and it, it was it was a lot of fun, you know, researching this when you when you consider uh, the wildlife and the plant life and just mm-hmm. it it's a pretty fascinating place, um, even without all the paranormal stuff, right, right. So so we're gonna get into this. I this this is gonna be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I. Obviously, living here, you you hear about the big thicket and you hear about uh, randomly, you'll hear somebody say, well, I I was in the big thicket and yada yada happened. And just it it comes up quite often, but I never like delved into what makes it unique. Mm hmm. And so in doing this research, I thought it was really cool. And I've got some information talking about, you know, what makes it unique, the the flora, the fauna of the area, and just to kind of set you up for the stories that Matt's got, because you got to understand that area to then understand some of these stories. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I were talking about it before the the mics came on, but... There's some stuff that happens and then people will try to debunk it and you're like uh uh-uh. uh that, that debunking does not work in the big thicket it does right. not work <laughs> you know there there's no way because it's this is not a a large city yeah there're cities within it but where this stuff happens within the preserve is yeah. not a, a big city that you could blame it on outside uh, uh noise pollution or light pollution or whatever yeah but like we always say go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes you can find where we found all this information you can continue the research cuz this is going to be another one of those where at least my my part is not going to be as extensive as it could be simply for time's sake and you know ADD's sake cuz I'm ADD and I, if I talked about it for 3 hours I would probably veer off and my brain would be in Florida again. So <laughs> just go down and check our sources and you can continue the research if you want to. And I know for Matt as well, there's some stories that he couldn't cover as well for time's sake. So now the big thicket is the name given to a somewhat imprecise region in Texas, a heavily forested area. And like Matt said, it's Southeast Texas in the United States. And people have called the big thicket an American ark and the biological crossroads of North America. The preserve was established to protect the remnant of its complex biological diversity.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing how they could just get two of everything in
0: there. It it is. I mean, (laughs) it's everything. I mean, we got weasels to, to camels uh Nessies there's two Nessies <laughs> in the Big Thicket um there there might be hint hint more than one Bigfoot in the Big Thicket <laughs> Yeah that's right that's right Now the Big Thicket National Preserve is located northeast of Houston it's on the southeast side of Texas on the Louisiana border near the Gulf Coast So I'll post some pictures in Patreon but you can look it up too and kind of get a general idea of where it is Now what's Extraordinary is not the rarity or abundance of its life forms, but how many species actually coexist here. It says once vast, this combination of pine and cypress forest, hardwood forest, meadow, blackwater swamp. Uh, where do you get that mixture? Anywhere else. That That is a, a strange mixture. Um, it, all of this is but a remnant. So. With such varied habitats, the big thicket is a misnomer, but it seems appropriate because an exhausted settler wrote in eighteen thirty five quote "This day passed through the thickest woods I ever saw it surpasses any country for brush so yeah it, it's it's not really a thicket and it it but it is big and,
1: and keep keep that in mind because in the in the undeveloped areas and it, and it's not like like Adam said there're towns in there but it it's not like you're just driving around on paved roads and you're like hey we're in the big thicket right i mean there's a lot of a lot of of open undeveloped you know country that is just covered you know with with trees and wildlife so
0: and swamps you know, there's swamps. swamps
1: but it's and it, it it's not remote, but you can definitely get deep in there and feel like you're on the other side of the world. Yeah, certainly get lost in there. Oh, absolutely. So think, consider that when you start hearing these these stories about stuff. You know, it, it it's not like you're just you know walking the, You take a, a a two hour hike and you're you're really just two hours deeper into this mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's
0: not like you're like on the other side of it. Yeah, you didn't get out of it. You just you just screwed yourself up even more by continuing is what you did. Yeah. You'll be walking through swamps with gators in a minute. Now, the original big thicket of Texas covered between 2 million and 3 million acres in what's now mapped as the Piney Woods and coastal marsh uh, ecoregions of the state. Now, it's a transition zone. Where southeastern swamps, eastern deciduous forest, central plains, pine savannas, and dry sand hills all meet. Yeah. So if you can it's picture weird. that, it it's wild to think. The big thing, it is amazing. I mean, it's it, like, it,
1: it's like a video game map. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. you're just
0: <laughs> all the, yeah.
1: Hey, I didn't, we got, this looks like a desert. We just left a forest. Yeah. No, right. we didn't. We
0: just left the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So millions of years ago, part of the big thicket was actually under sea level until the shores of the Gulf of Mexico receded to its current position. So in the last 60 million years, quote, recent times, according to geologists, the Gulf shoreline of southeast Texas submerged and emerged time after time in unison during the Pleistocene age with periodic glaciations to the north. So. What it's saying is, as as we've said before, the sea levels would rise and fall. So, at times, there would be a city maybe built here, and then the sea levels would rise, and it would be underwater, then it'd sink again. But it did that here, too, where there was no... People habitation that we're aware of is during the Pleistocene age. So as it would freeze in a cap and mm-hmm. it would suck some of the water out, it would recede some and then flow back in when it melted. So it was creating these like marshy nasty grounds that to yeah. walk through because yeah. it's just saturated. But it spent a lot like, of time. Kind of gross. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you've ever walked through a swamp, it's nasty. Ru- ruin some shoes mm-hmm, for <laughs> sure. Ruin some legs. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah. So uh, at at different points in history, there were giant sloths, mastodons, saber-toothed tigers, and dire wolves that were all found in the Big Thicket, and this was around ten thousand years ago. So giant sloths. Mm-hmm. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> Uh, so even, even in the Pleistocene region, that area was home to many varying species of animals because of the different types of habitat that all butted up to it. You could have so many different types of animals cohabitating yeah. and there's not many other places. Yes, there are. Don't, don't at me about this. There are other places where this happens. <laughs> But there's not a whole lot of them, and certainly not a whole lot of them in Texas. Right. Now, this diverse habitat allows an impressive array of species to coexist, including approximately 1,320 species of trees, shrubs, vines, and grasses, or what's considered vascular plants, 60 mammal species, 86 reptile and amphibian species, 34 species of freshwater mussels, Nearly 1,800 invertebrate species just in the um, Lepidoptera Lepidoptera family. So butterflies, moths, skippers. 97 fish species, at least 300 bird species, and 660 species of mushrooms. So crazy what's there. Historically, bison, jaguars, and red wolves. We're all included in the array of species as well. So jaguars in Texas, you know, when you think jaguars, you think South America. You don't think North America. You don't think Texas unless it's in a zoo. And, but at one point this was habitat for jaguars. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons I tell you this is so that, When we get into what happens there, you'll know A, what used to live there, B, what could still live there, but we just don't have scientific proof of, and what was there that could have created legends. Now, the big thicket was formerly known for its black bear population, but they were aggressively hunted for nearly a century before they were eradicated from Southeast Texas in the 1950s. Pretty sad. But Mm -hmm. we've seen that before. Now, four of the five types of carnivorous plants found in North America can be found in the Big Thicket, including pitcher plants, sundews, warts, and warts. Now, the most well-known carnivorous plant, the Venus flytrap, is not found here. In the wild, these plants are found only in North and South Carolina. But you've got four carnivorous plants in there. So that tells you something about the ecosystem. Now, indigenous tribes still in the area, including uh, include three major tribes of the Alabama, the Cowshada Indians, um, who had migrated to southeast Texas in the 1780s from Alabama and Louisiana. These two tribes have lived all over the big thicket, but they now share a common home here on their 4,300 acre reservation in Polk County. So there's different areas Within the big thicket, that are historical markers and, and can kind of be the epicenters for some of these legends and stuff. So I, I want to touch briefly on the history of some of these things. Now, Teal Cemetery is within the big thicket. There's just a cemetery in 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 the big thicket, and it's a small, secluded cemetery and it was first used in 1893 and it's hidden deep in the woods of the big thicket well Richard and Nancy Teal were the second European American family to settle in the Saratoga area after the Cottons now Richard was born in Alabama and moved to Texas with his parents at the age of 18 in 1858 when he was 24 he married Nancy Hart who was 16 and the young couple settled in the big thicket the Teals lived in a log cabin just west of what is now the cemetery, where they raised a sizable family of 11 children. Nearby, they had an orchard and grew crops, including cotton, corn, oats, and sugarcane. One of their sons, D.J., was the first to be buried here in 1893. Both Richard and Nancy are buried in the cemetery, along with many of their children and descendants. The home site remained in the Teal family until 1978, when it was transferred to the national park service for inclusion in big thicket Na- national preserve. But sadly the cabin burned down in the 1970s. So the cabin itself is not there, but the cemetery is. Yeah.
1: Cemetery is still there and
0: you can see it. It's pretty cool. I mean, you yeah.
1: you know, there's plenty of pictures and videos of it. Um, you know, and, and it is, it's just out there in the woods. Yeah. It, it's, You know, if you've ever done that, I've, I've, I've done it, you know, where you're out kind of hiking around in the woods and you come across a a few gravestones, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. usually dated, you know, 1800s. Yeah. yeah, You know, a hundred plus years. Yeah. Um, And there is a creep factor to that.
0: Sure. When you stumble Um, upon a, a random cemetery, it is.
1: Right. So if, if you're out there and you come across this and you're not expecting it, um, yeah, it gives you kind of a little, Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, what else, what else is out here?
0: <laughs> yeah. But it, it's cool to me that at the time, you know, you could bury your family on your land. You didn't have to do what we have to do now and go through the whole crazy funeral process and put them in a specific area. If you had land farmland. Grandpa went there, grandma went there, you'd go there, and it was just a place for the family, which I think is cool. And if there wasn't so many people, you know, in the in towns, I think we could probably still do that. But mm-hmm. now there's another area, the Lance Rosier Unit. Now, Lance Rosier Unit is the historical heart of the big thicket. It's home to jungle like swamps, palmetto forest, and historic sites. The site is named for Lance Rozier, lived from 1886 to 1970, who was a Saratoga resident, a self-taught naturalist with an encyclopedic knowledge of the thicket. His work actually led to the eventual creation of the preserve in 1974. One of the other areas is Teal Road. Now, Teal Road is a narrow, unpaved road that leads into the dense forest of the Lance Rozier unit, and it dead ends at Teal Cemetery. So if you're out there, you want to see it, you can hop on Teal Road, which is just dirt road, and take it down. You'll pass through the Lance Rozier unit, and you'll come up on the Teal Cemetery. Now, Staley Cabin, the last place I want to talk about, it it's Staley, like Lane Staley. I, when I first saw it, I thought Stanley Cabin, and I actually typed Stanley Cabin. <laughs> and then I'm reading, and I went, wait a minute, they forgot an N. Oh, no, I added an in. Sorry. <laughs> so it was built in 1934. Staley Cabin is a good example of a log cabin used by homesteaders in the 19th and 20th centuries. Thinking that this site was available for homesteading, Jimmy Staley built the three-room cabin for his wife and four children using pine timber cut from the property. The original chimney was made of mud and the roof had cypress shingles. Outside, Jimmy's wife, Elda, planted acorns that became the large oaks that loom over the cabin today. That's cool to me. That's some history right there, just the the trees being there. That's so cool because, you know, she babysat those things. She watched them grow from little saplings. Now they're so huge. If you look at pictures, they're huge around this cabin. Oh, yeah. But next to the cabin... The Staley's had a vegetable garden surrounded by a hog-proof fence and an orchard of plum and fig trees. After living there for a couple years, Jimmy Staley found out that his homestead was built on timber company land. So the Kirby Lumber Company owned the property and tried to evict the family, but eventually they decided to let them remain after Jimmy signed an acknowledgment of tenancy. So in 1962, Jimmy Staley sold the cabin. Later owners made improvements, including replacements of the roof and chimney. In 1977, three years after the establishment of Big Thicket National Preserve, the National Park Service bought the cabin and surrounding property. The cabin was used as the preserve's visitor center until 2001. So pretty cool history of some there's other stuff there too, if you want to hop in the sources and go find it, but those are some of the bigger, historical areas of the big thicket
1: i mean yeah i mean it's pretty cool this guy just built built this thing himself
0: Yeah, you know wouldn't just went there cool cut to, down
1: the trees built it up and it's still standing uh, yeah. you know enough for them to actually run the visitor center out yeah. of it wouldn't it be I mean, cool
0: though to press will be able to just find an area and say i'm living here and you just able to build something you don't yeah, have yeah it'd be great buy it from people and spend money and all that mess yeah i mean you now it 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 would be great i i would my house
1: would fall down in like 10 minutes
0: <laughs> it'd be some rough living in the thicket though
1: oh i'm telling you yeah um but besides just rough rough living besides all the wildlife all of the the unique plant life that's there Um, you know, there's a lot of history behind um, the people that were in and out of the thicket over you know the last you know 200 years. Criminals would use the thicket to escape local law enforcement um, during the early history of the Anglo settlement. Mm -hmm. Um, and not only that. The because of the the dense brush, Confederate deserters during the American Civil War used the thicket to to hide and avoid the battle. Right. When you now, when you get into the to the more in depth into this story, um, you know this is essentially the story of the of the Jayhawkers. Um, you know the the Confederates that said. Um, this is uh this is we're we're fighting a war for the rich, you know mm-hmm. they're they're just going back and forth about you know money you know mm-hmm. this, they in fact it was called uh this is a uh, a rich man's war, but a poor man's fight right so it wasn't like they were cowards, you know they they didn't agree with what they were doing, and they said, look at the at the end of the day if uh if slavery continues to exist then it's going to spread like a disease. And pretty soon, you know, there's not going to be any reason for a business owner not to just use slave labor. Mm -hmm. So they were against that. um, But because it would, you know, you think about what the, uh, what the economy is now, what it could have been had, you know, had things been different, Right. These people understood. Um, So, you know, they would actually, they actually built like these, this little settlement within the thicket. And um, we're going to get into more of that story here in just a minute. But it gives you an idea of not just how, how vast it is, how deep and how just dense it is where, you know, these people could just essentially live And go undetected. Mm -hmm. But what else could live? With people
0: looking for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With people looking for them. I mean, you think, what else could live out there and go undetected? What other things could occur Mm -hmm. and go undetected? Well, one of the things that it is, the big thing it is most famous for are the Saratoga lights, and we've talked about other light phenomena in Texas, but th- these are these are pretty unique. Um it they occur along Bragg Road, which is one of the only roads through the forest in Big Thicket. Um Bragg Road is in Hardin County and it's an 8-mile stretch that at night really amps up Okay, I mean, we're we're talking about essentially like a, a you know a, a it's it's wide enough now for two cars to pass. Okay, mm. just just bare two whole cars. It's not a highway by any no. stretch of the imagination. Um, but at night, some travelers report uh, the Saratoga lights as these orbs of light that are about the size of a small pumpkin and the colors range from light blue to green or yellow and the lights are more active in the early evening but these lights appear and disappear at random during the dark of night and there's really no good explanation this is not a situation of swamp gas that's not there's not around there before the um before we uh we started recording, Adam and I were talking about how um, it, it doesn't make sense that it would be headlights because where where are they coming right. from? You know, right. when we talked about the Marfa lights, we, we said, you know, a lot of people said it's reflections from headlights, it's kind of a optical illusion. Where are these headlights? We're out exactly. in the middle of the woods, you know, this <laughs> is not there's not a highway like right over there i mean yeah. there's just it's just not
0: that you um, would see and hear the car as yeah. as well as the lights, and if it were lights, they wouldn't be blue and all these other colors
1: right they wouldn't yeah it'd be it'd be white yellow it'd be about it mm-hmm. um but uh, you know the reason for that is is what it's now called farm road twelve ninety three But Bragg Road originally was a seven-mile bed for a Santa Fe branch line used for hauling oil from the Saratoga oil fields along with logs and cattle. And the railroad was laid in 1901, but they removed the rails in 1934 Mm -hmm. and left the bed and it became a frequently used road going through the big thicket. So what does that tell you about Bragg Road? It's straight. Yep. It's yep. as straight as they come because it used to be railroad tracks. hmm You know, when's the last time you saw a train take a sharp turn? <laughs> you don't. Not and make it. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, when you think about this road, and no other roads around it, and it's pencil straight for seven miles, you're gonna see another vehicle coming mm-hmm. down this road a pretty good ways off.
0: Absolutely, I mean, yeah.
1: There's nothing obscuring your vision. And, uh, you know, I brought up earlier w- with Adam that there's no curves. So it's not like you could be standing. And looking through the trees to the left or the right and and see part of the road in the distance where it curves around. it Because it doesn't curve around. Right. So there's no cars. There's no other kind of transportation that would have headlights that would reflect and cause these lights, you know, to... To kind of drift back and forth across the road, and, as you know Adam made a good point, they certainly wouldn't be blue or green um but there's a lot of stories about what the lights are um that have essentially just become fantastic legends uh n- none of them are really all that uh explanatory uh they're just they're just really good legends um one story uh, about the lights is that it's a mystical phenomenon that um shows where treasure is buried, and that the Spanish conquistadors are out there looking for the lost treasure. that's yeah, okay, yeah, pretty cool. We're going to talk more about that Spanish treasure here in a second.
0: Um, I like Spanish treasure I, mean. I love it I, I wish I had more of it <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, but another story is that the the lights are a little bit of fire that was never extinguished uh, after another historical event, the Kaiser burnout. Now, the Kaiser burnout was a fire set by Confederate Captain James Kaiser during the Civil War at, where he was flushing out these these deserters, these right. these these jayhawkers um. So he just set it on fire. You know, flush him out. It's a lot. It's a lot to burn. Yeah. You know, to yeah. you
0: know, just to get out some you, people that um, didn't want to fight with you. Imagine the damage that he could have caused ecologically to that area oh, yeah, yeah. by doing that.
1: But you know, and and it did, it burned it burned quite a lot. Um but as we see that doesn't necessarily, you know, end the 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 life. You know, the plant life, animal life. It it almost re reinvigorates it, and it comes back stronger. Yep, that's um, true. You know, I mean, there's, you know I, know, I know we we lose a lot of forests due to uh, wildfires every year, um, but you know, in a hundred years, they're going to be back. You know, it's, you know, we're, they're not going to be gone forever. Um, now there's another story that's a little bit more gruesome about the lights. And I think this story, I think every state has one of these, Adam. Mm. I, I think one of these, it was, it's the ghost of a rail rail railroad worker. Oh yeah. Who was decapitated during a train wreck or Mm -hmm. some other train accident while on the Saratoga line. His body was recovered, but his head was never found. And according to the legend, the light is from his brakeman's lantern as his body continues to search up and down the line looking for his missing head. We've got one of those in Tennessee.
0: Yeah. Chapel Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere that's got railroad tracks will have that legend.
1: Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, you have heard Adam and I talk about how great HelloFresh is, and we both thoroughly enjoy it, and so do our families. And you may be thinking, well, I've I've listened, I've heard HelloFresh, but what is it? HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. It is farm-fresh ingredients delivered right to your door with easy recipes that you can follow and make delicious gourmet food right at home without a trip to the grocery store, without wondering, hey, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Um, And it's more affordable than going out to a restaurant. Oh, yeah. You know, Fall is right around the corner, and HelloFresh is here to help you plan for the busy season ahead with tasty dishes delivered to your door. Simply choose your recipes and pick your delivery date, then lay back and enjoy the last days of summer, knowing that dinner is covered. And does it seem like your
0: family is hungry all the time? Mine is. (laughs) I know Michael is. Michael is always eating. Well, the good thing about HelloFresh now is that you can add snacks, sides, and more to your weekly HelloFresh order. Just simply shop the HelloFresh market and take your pick from a curated selection of over 100 add-on items. Which is great because, I mean, that's one less trip to the grocery store to get snacks. You can get them from HelloFresh. And we we actually just finished eating a HelloFresh meal right before we started recording. We got the beef flauta supreme thing and you Ooh, know yeah. me and, me and tex-mex man oh my goodness and hello fresh to me their best meals are their tex-mex style meal but i'm a tex-mex freak so <laughs> these are you get the beef and the cheese in the flour tortilla you crisp it up you put a red pepper crema on there which is not spicy It's just got the good red pepper flavor and then tomatoes and onions on it. Dude, let me tell you, that is one of my favorite meals from them. I just finished eating it and it it just makes me happy. Michael loves it. Ashley loves it. It's so easy to fix. So if you want to join my family and Matt's family in loving HelloFresh, then all you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 graveyard. That's. 50 GRAVEYARD and use our code 50 Graveyard for 50% off plus free shipping. Yeah, that's right. Just go to HelloFresh.com
1: slash 50 Graveyard 50 GRAVEYARD and use that code 50 Graveyard and you get 50% off plus free shipping. I mean, it's an unbelievable deal. You're absolutely going to love it. See why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And if you didn't know that Bragg Road used to be a railroad, a railroad tracks, then it might seem a little odd. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's a
0: reason. Why is yeah. there a railman on a <laughs> dirt road? On a dirt road? What's he doing? Yeah.
1: He's lost. You know, his head's not anywhere around here.
0: Uh, he got way <laughs> off course looking for his head.
1: Uh, this one, though, I found this story um just poking around, and I had never heard this one before. Um, this story is about uh, is is one of the the stories where the husband is looking for his bride. As the story goes, uh the couple was honeymooning at the Bragg Hotel, which used to be at the end of the road, and by some mysterious circumstances the bride was murdered. And the light is the groom who continues to search for his bride's killer. Hmm. So that's a, that was a new one. I had not heard yeah. that
0: before. That's new to me too.
1: Now, there is a there is a, a another story not about the light. Um, of a man who got lost in the, out in the woods. Easily done. Easily done. Well, he comes across this old woman whose face was concealed by a bonnet and it, he said that she gave him some rancid water and then disappeared. Well, that's kind of crappy, that, you know.
0: Yeah, that that's weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Okay, rancid water, yuck. But others tell of a little sweet old lady that will stop and ask for directions. But when the visitors actually see her face that's kind of occluded by the bonnet, mm-hmm. she has hollow eyes, and they describe her voice as being kind of a far away voice. Now, she is said to haunt the trail.
0: Like she keeps her voice in her pocket or yeah, something. Yeah, it's like she's it's a like-
1: ventriloquist. She's throwing her voice. You want some rain for the water? Yeah. There's what? a see. There's a pitcher plant right there, and it's got <laughs> yeah. nasty water in it. Yeah. And go, go she throws her
0: voice to the pitcher plant, and it's like,
1: drink me, drink me.
0: Uh, <laughs> makes sense now.
1: It's t- that's total crap. We just made that up because she didn't. <laughs> uh, but this, but this lady is said to haunt the trails, and. She's actually been reported seen walking straight through the trunks of trees, and they say that the scent of lavender precedes her apparition. So if you smell lavender, you you may just be out in the forest. I don't know but, yeah. <laughs> but supposedly, if you smell lavender, she's not far away. So you know that that's a you know we've got, we, we've got ghost lights, we've got ghost apparitions okay so you know we've got a couple of different different things going on here here's something else remember i mentioned the uh something about spanish conquistadors and lost treasure mm-hmm. well on the western edge of the thicket in a small crossroads community known as uh, Kenneflick, local people believe that a copper chest containing million worth of jewels and money is buried there in the quicksand. Now, it has been there for 250 years or more since the pack train transporting it from Florida to Mexico was attacked by Native American warriors. It's pointed out that the old uh, Atacita Road, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, that connects connected Spain's two New World empires, passed just south of Keneflick, so all right in this area, you know, at one point was you know, essentially surrounded by uh, Spanish controlled areas. Mm. Now the treasure was actually recovered in the 1930s, but they lost it in the quicksand again when the hoist rope broke oh lord so in the 1930s they figured out a way to to get this out of the quicksand and it's like when you're playing the claw machine okay yeah, yeah. and and you you've you're got your thing and it comes up and then right at the last minute meh and it yep. drops and you're like uh so that's what happened to these folks is they they hoisted this chest out of this quicksand and the rope broke and it went back down. And and Jeez. so they were just like, eh, we're never going to be able to find it now. So, you know, and and they didn't, according to the story. But many other searchers, uh, searches have been made for the chest and some claim that it's been located several times with a probe at 25 feet deep. Oh, wow. So, you know, if if you look at those numbers, you think, well, that's really not that deep, is it? You know, that's not so bad. You couldn't get it out 25 feet. But nobody has figured out a way to retrieve it. Even with the modern engineering methods of of draining and suction pumps, you know, you could, you'd think they could just suck out the quicksand and and there it would be.
0: Build a dam around it or something.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you think for 1.5 million, not just the vow, the cash value, but the mm-hmm. historical value of actually obtaining this. You know, I, 250 year old treasure. I mean, th- there's there's more than just monetary value
0: there. If so, I had I had the way to do it. I'd I better believe I'd be out there doing it.
1: Well, yeah. So you would you would think that the expense would be worth it, right? But you, be aware that uh, the quicksand and the wetlands around it are absolutely full of alligators and water moccasins and sounds about right. Uh, other other things that would like for you to go away. Okay, so I mean, and and from what I've read, it's like I mean, it's not like you might see an alligator. You better watch out. You might step on a water moccasin. It's like it's like Snake Island down there. Yeah, it's like they're I'd rather, everywhere.
0: I'd rather know? deal with the gators than the water moccasins.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: <laughs> those, those water moccasins are bad. I man. can
1: climb a tree. A gator can't. Right. <laughs> At least I've right. never seen one.
0: But a you snake know? can.
1: A snake sure as hell
0: can. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the other stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was, it was crazy that they hadn't been able to figure out a way. It was like alligators or watermarks and whatever. Some, I figured somebody by now, if it was still there, somebody would have figured out a way to get it.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know, the story says it's still down there and, uh, and they verified that it's still down there.
0: Well, after this episode, we're going to have a bunch of people going out to the thicket looking for it.
1: Yeah, be so careful.
0: If we're, you find it, if you come away alive, Matt and I deserve a finder's fee. That's right. We're
1: waiters, thick ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Snake s- boots under them waiters. That's right. So, you know, you've got ghost lights, buried treasure, carnivorous plants, you know, or just being that nature, whatever would take you out to the big thicket. There's one particular event that appears to be quite common. And you know, the, you can't talk about a big open area of of woods like this without talking about our old buddy Bigfoot.
0: Yep. Yeah, Biggie McBigfoot.
1: Biggie McBigfoot. Um numerous, numerous Bigfoot sightings in Big Thicket. And over the years um you know it, it's been known by several names like the the wild man of big thicket uh old mossy back
0: I like, <laughs> like that one. an
1: one, old mossy back or the raggedy man of sour lake um uh, Mr. Foot Yeah, Mr. Foot <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's just it's incredible Um and one of the coolest things is that if you look at a map where it it'll have little pinpoints the one i saw has little the little classic sasquatch mm. everywhere where they've been reported you actually begin to see patterns you know like almost like migration patterns that are you yeah. know or that they're traveling from one area to another and this is the path of least resistance or this is the path that would be most secluded for them whatever you know, you can actually see the path to the point that those locations are, you know, that that's where people want to focus their efforts, okay? Um, but, you know, if you think about it, if there was going to be a Sasquatch roaming around in the woods undetected, big thicket,
0: I mean, that would be on a short list of good places. Oh, sure. And if you look at um a map which I'll put uh in Patreon of probably the one Matt's talking about Bigfoot sightings in Texas. Yep. If you look at it, the eastern portion of Texas has the most. Mm-hmm. But there is a huge concentration in the area of the Big Thicket. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And some of the places in the big thicket that don't have as many, it's because it's not around a town. Yeah, There's not hardly anybody there to be able to report it. Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's usually reported by, you know, hikers or uh, campers, you know, maybe local guides, things like that. They're the ones who experience it. And not only have there been a lot of sightings, there are more incidents of people hearing it. Um, you know, there's, there's groups that have gone out to try to mimic calls and they'll get return calls. Um, you know, one, one such gentleman that, that he has lived in the thicket, he says for about 30 years. Um, he says, you know, he's never seen one, but he hears them all the time. And he says, the, the howl that you hear is so loud and it's unlike anything he's ever heard he said mm-hmm. you can't you can't even begin to mimic it and another thing that he that he reports um is that 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 weird silence in the forest yeah. that occurs um or when when a bigfoot is near uh we we've, we've yeah. talked about that before you know the the bugs quit quit making their sounds the birds quit chirping you know, you don't. Mm-hmm. It just gets eerily quiet.
0: It and, is eerie,
1: and that has been associated with a Bigfoot being nearby. Um for for whatever reason, you know, there we we don't really we don't know we don't know why why would why would Bigfoot make everybody be quiet? Maybe you know, maybe I've, he's very sensitive. I don't know.
0: I've heard it referred to as the Oz effect, but. And where everything gets quiet, it's like you're transported to another realm. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. it is well. That goes back to that whole is is Bigfoot interdimensional. Is
0: is right? Are
1: are are, are the Bigfoots coming through? You know where and this where this you know portal would be. Um, that it somehow causes this silence. You know, mm-hmm. in the in the region, and it's not necessarily that everything decides to be quiet. It's, it it blocks it out, and you can't hear it, right? So I, I'm digging around, and I'm looking, and you know, as Adam said, you know, there are tons and tons and tons of these sightings. So I, I I dug around until I found a really interesting one, and this one I thought was pretty cool. Now this happened on May 14th in 2005. And a guy named Michael Mays and a friend, um, who also was into Bigfoot, decided that they were going to go out on their own adventure. And so they had had reports from Sam Houston State Park, which is you know right there on the on the northern portion of the Big Thicket. Um, but it's a it's a big hot spot for Sasquatch activity. So, Mays and his friend drove deep into a forested area and parked. And they said they actually napped at sunset and got up at midnight. And then Mm. began driving along Forest Service Road 208. Now, they said it was several hours and they had seen no other cars. When they came over a rise near, near Stubblefield Lake, around 3.15 a.m. And saw something in front of them. And May says, this thing just standing in the road. He said, and it, then it turned and it walked off into the woods at mm. three o'clock in the morning. And May says it was nearly seven feet tall and it had this tremendously wide body. That was Mays's first Bigfoot sighting. And he says, there's only two things it could be. A person dressed up in some type of monkey suit, or it was what we were out there looking for. Yeah. And he said he and his friend drove for several more hours that night, and they didn't expect to see it again, but they were looking for evidence of anyone else a possible hoaxer who could have been out there you know pulling a prank
0: because you would think at that point that person's gonna have to get back to the road to get out right something
1: right or he's got to have somebody helping him he's got to have a vehicle you Mm -hmm. know that you're gonna you should be able to find some evidence that there's another human out there
0: see the campfire or something
1: yeah but you know given where they were it seemed unlikely that it was a hoax because no one knew that they were there and no one knew why they were there. But Mays said they felt like they had to rule it out. So they found no evidence of any parked vehicles and didn't see another vehicle on that road for several more hours. And Mays makes a really good point here. He says, hoaxers want to be seen. And he said, we were out on a very remote road. So the odds that, you know, somebody pulling a prank had a friend drop them off in a large ape-like costume on a dark remote road just on the chance that somebody would drive by at three o'clock in the morning? Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Why? I mean, you know, why would you do that? He's right. He's right. Hoaxers want to be seen. It's not a hoax if nobody sees it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you would think. No, he's gonna be out there in in the daylight. You know, it at dusk. He's gonna be in an area that the chances are higher that someone's actually gonna see him. Right. Three o'clock in the morning in pitch black darkness out on a remote road. That's not the spot. Right. And he he made another good point. He says, This is Texas. You go traipsing around in a monkey suit trying to scare people, you're gonna get shot. No joke. Yeah. No joke. So shortly after that sighting, Mays joined the NAWAC, which I wasn't aware of.
0: So I Nawak. looked it up. It is the heat. That's n- what I screamed Nawak last time Nawak. I hit my knee on something. <laughs> <Nawak>. <laughs> if If you're familiar with Nawak,
1: you know that it stands for the National American Wood Ape the National American Wood Ape Conservancy. I love it. It's a mouthful. But yeah, I mean, That's
0: I didn't even go know with they NAWC. existed. I didn't either until you and I were talking. Yeah. And I may have to join this now.
1: Yeah. yeah no kidding. But Mays joined uh, NAWAC or the NAWAC. Uh, and he is now the director uh, of that um Organization And he's an author who has told his experiences with the group and its sightings in the areas of interest, including the Big Thicket in Southeast Texas. So at the time, the superintendent of the preserve was on board with further Bigfoot research. And Mays's group was able to actually set up kind of a base camp there in the Lance Rosier unit um, and, and bring in some equipment and continue their research. However, in 2006, a new superintendent took over and the NAWAC's research was no longer welcome. Doesn't go into any more detail than that. I told Adam, I said, I think the actual quote from the article was uh, the welcome mat was pulled out from underneath him. So it sounded like it was more or less a, no, I don't believe in any of this Bigfoot nonsense. Y'all need to get yeah. on out of here. You
0: know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I would
1: imagine that, that, that was
0: a conversation they had. That sounds about right for small country town. You've either got ardent believers or ardent skeptics. There's no... Yeah, no middle not ground. Not really people that are are saying, "Well, I don't really believe it, but y'all go ahead and do your funny business out there." You know, and, and the guy's probably thinking this is just a cover for them to do creepy, freaky stuff. <laughs> they're they're out in the woods. They're getting jiggy with it, yeah, and I, I'm not gonna have it. I can't. In my I can't wood. say
1: that that wouldn't have crossed my mind either. right i'm I'm on board look i'm on board with more bigfoot research hey come on yeah but i'm i'm also not an idiot and uh, you know like a dozen guys show up you know wearing shorts and flip-flops telling me Mm -hmm. they're gonna go sit up out in the woods and look for bigfoot i'm gonna be like
0: uh not like that you are (laughs) no this would be people in tack gear that they bought off amazon (laughs) They would have Amazon tactical gear that they're wearing and going, we're getting ourselves a big foot. Not saying that's what the NAWC is, but that's what I picture in my mind of Uh, what this guy is, is, (laughs) is seeing why he's saying, no, no, he ain't
1: (laughs) right. Um, But you know, the, the fact that even then, you know, they, they didn't let an organization come in there and do research It doesn't stop people from going out there and looking. And numerous Bigfoot hunters and researchers have focused on the big thicket over the years, uh, convinced that if there is conclusive evidence of Bigfoot's existence,
0: it's going to be found in in the big thicket. Yeah, the only problem with that is think about the diverse habitat that's out there. Yeah. You've got the swamps. You've got all this stuff. If you're looking for physical evidence of a Bigfoot, it's going to be very hard to find a body, Mm -hmm. body parts. Yeah. Uh, You might find some footprints, but as soon as it rains or something else traipses across there, it's going to get messed up. It's going to be hard to find physical evidence. Now, your chances of witnessing one, getting a picture of one is higher, Mm -hmm. I would assume, in that area. But if you're looking for bodies or what, I I doubt you're going to find it because gators. I mean, they'll eat anything. Uh, uh, Yeah, that's right. Um, That's a good excuse for anything. Why? Well, because gators.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and there, but there have been um, some fairly good footprints uh, that have been found. Um, You know, just a lot of evidence of things like. you know, trees being downed without being able to find where they came from. Right. Um, You're thinking, oh, there's trees down and you're in the forest. You know, that happens all the time. Sure, it does. But if you've got, um, you know, a a cluster of cypress trees, okay, and then there's, you know, two or three full, like, beech trees or something just laid you know kind of in in order among these trees you start kind of poking around and you notice there's no other beech trees around here
0: and there's no stumps where they fell over right. from or yeah
1: and and you know they they look like maybe they were cut uh rudimentary rudimentarily you know it's just you know this is the kind of stuff that the researchers have found out there mm-hmm. um you know, not definitive proof by any means, but interesting nonetheless. Because where did they come from? You know, if if a right. human did this, why? What what were they doing? Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't they finish what they were doing? You know, if they were and building, how something, many did it?
0: Yeah, how many did it take to move such a big tree?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and you wouldn't think, okay, if if we've got this particular kind of tree here, maybe somebody was out here trying to build a lean-to or something, why didn't they just use the trees that were here? You know, mm-hmm. why would you try to drag, you know, and I'm not talking about like chopped, I'm going to drag a, you know, an entire tree from one part of the forest to another,
0: to, right. you know, it, do, it doesn't make well, sense. And one of the big, and one of the big things of evidence that people say points to Bigfoot habitation of an area are those, not nests, but like hideouts where you see the woven branches where Mm -hmm. they're bent over. Mm -hmm. You got one large tree that's bent over and then they're kind of woven together. So that would be something else that, you know, maybe they were with those trees trying to make one of these lean-to things, but didn't have enough anything else. Or they got interrupted by... Some dude in Amazon tech gear looking for Bigfoot out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it, it doesn't take just a body to have evidentiary proof of a Bigfoot. Yeah. But, you know, most scientists are not going to take a footprint and, oh, this is a weirdly constructed lean-to as evidence of uh, a great ape or or something like that in north america right right um and and it just the fact that it is so
1: such a large area the fact that there's other you know odd occurrences paranormal activity if you will it just you know it, it just lends itself to the fact that yeah why wouldn't bigfoot be here too
0: i mean well yeah the the desolate nature of a lot of the area in there the ability for it to hide um and just the abundance of life in that area it could have food sources for days It there there may be animals in there similar to ones we know about but evolutionarily different and we just haven't found them yet yeah yeah so I, I think the big Thicket is probably one of the better spots in Texas for Bigfoot to reside. And if you look at the sightings maps, the people that saw it <laughs> think that too. So.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it it's also, there's, there's nothing else really, even with all the diversity that you could mistake an upright, you know, primate for. Sure. Um You know, there's nothing else really on two legs, but they have talked that the the creature that has been spotted in the big thicket does sometimes walk on all fours, more like Mm. a gorilla. And understand the NAWC NAWAC is the Wood Ape Conservatory uh, Conservancy Wood the American Wood Ape Conservancy. It doesn't say Bigfoot, it doesn't say Sasquatch. You know, they're not necessarily going out there saying we're going to find this weird mythical creature, but the hopes is is that you know, if they found a North American primate that mm-hmm. has been seen, they could say this is the species that has been tagged with the Bigfoot name
0: right you know right. this is
1: what we're seeing and again Adam and I have said this before if we find if we find out one day that that's what it is and it's not some weird interdimensional creature some alien pet or you know some you know other kind of bizarre intergalactic species understanding that there has been a a North American ape that has managed to avoid detection for all this time would be an
0: absolutely
1: incredible find
0: and be amazing. Yeah. So absolutely amazing.
1: But it sure does seem like there I mean, there are trail cams that have picked up images of this. Of course, they're, they're not spectacular, but they are intriguing uh, to say the least uh, there have been photographers that have caught pictures, and there's tons. You can you can go and and look at them. I don't have one or two that I would specifically direct you to. If you just search it, you're going to find them. Um, and this does have more of an ape appearance than other supposed photographs of Bigfoot.
0: Um, well, and think about it; it it's very near and into louisiana which has the skunk, oh, the skunk ape, ape yeah. that lives in the the swamps and the honey island swamp monster yeah and so honey island are,
1: is right there in the big thicket
0: yep these have uh ape more ape-like appearances and they live in swamps there are supposed pictures of them you know up to their chest in the swamp mhm so it's very possible that this is the same species of creature as to what they're seeing in Honey Island and, and the Skunk Ape and all this, yeah. and it's just the Texas version of it. I, that's so, it,
1: the Texas version of it, it. They said this may not even be the same, the exact same creature that is reported from the Pacific Northwest, but yep. it could be a relative, and it yep. could just be the 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 southern, uh, North American, you know, v- version of, you know, what has been reported, you know, in in Washington and Oregon and and those areas and there,
0: I think that is highly possible because I can't remember what episode or what episodes uh, I mentioned this on, but if you think about other creatures that live in multiple ecosystems, like say you take a rabbit that lives in Texas versus a rabbit that lives in Maine, mm-hmm. they're going to be different. Yeah. Their fur is going to be different. You know, you've got the, the Arctic hares, which are completely white during the winter because they blend in. And then you've got jackrabbits in Texas and they got bigger ears to cool themselves off. They're still a rabbit. They're both rabbits. hmm But due to the climate and how they have to live, their habits are different. Their body shape is different. They're they're evolutionarily different. Mm -hmm. So to me, who, as you guys know, I believe Bigfoot is out there. I don't know what it is, but I believe something that we call Bigfoot is out there. I believe that this is probably what's happening. You've got the Pacific Northwest one that walks on all on two legs all the time because of the forest that is up there, what it's living in, pine trees, mm-hmm. cedars, all this, and it's having to trudge through this kind of stuff. And then you've got the one that lives in the swamps of the big thicket and Louisiana and all that that can get on all fours sometimes, lives in swampy regions, might be a little bit smaller. Due to where it lives, how it has to live, Mm -hmm. how it feeds is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Its interactions with humans are going to be different. And it's all dependent on where it lives. I mean, look at the Yeti versus Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. They say it's similar, Mm -hmm. but totally different ways of living. Looks different. I mean, but... I think a lot of it boils down to where it lives and how it's evolutionarily changed with where it lives. So them saying the Texas version of it, I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think if it's there, that's what's going to happen, and that's why we have so many different accounts from different regions of them acting differently. Like the the grass man, uh, the one that lives up in the plains, and it builds its... Nest within grass, and it's a tan color versus the dark brown versus the Honey Island swamp monster, which is dark, dark brown to black. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it depends on its environment, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But
1: what do you guys think? I mean, all this stuff, you know, happening, you know, ghost lights, ghost apparitions, you've got buried treasure, Bigfoot. I mean, uh. And again, you've you've got an area that has such a unique and diverse ecosystem. You know what else would be possible there? Let us know. I, I know we've got listeners that have you know that either live in that area or have been through it. Um, tell us what your experience was like. You know, how, what you know how how far how far into the the big thicket did you get before you were like, hey, we better find a road. You know. <laughs> let us know and one of the best places to do that is in our facebook group uh it's called the graveyard um thousands of members in there it's extraordinarily active it's a great place to share personal experiences um no one's going to make fun of you it's a private group so it's not like somebody at work's going to get a hold of this and be like wait oh my gosh you know what are you now nah, you can you can get in there. No one's gonna make fun of you. It's a safe place. We just we just love these great stories. Um yep. don't forget to uh, check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And as Adam mentioned earlier, you can listen to the show from the website, uh, but you can also find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise, you know, that that travel mug or that poster or uh, baby onesie, whatever <laughs> we got. There's all kinds of stuff you can get um, with the with the Graveyard Tales logo on it. Um, even even the noir poster that we had a listener designed for us several years ago that you see behind me. Uh, you can find that um, you know on our website. You can find links to purchase that. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the charts. It makes it easier for people to find the Graveyard. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard.
0: See you soon.